Welcome to Pacify Your Mind. After a long break, I'm very happy to come back with a new episode and a new interview. I'm Adeline, a well-being and stress prevention consultant and training facilitator. Before, I worked for many years for the European Union on foreign policy issues. I was passionate about contributing to peace, to human rights, for a better world, but I didn't know how to set limits and care about my well-being, and I was close to a burnout. I didn't know that cultivating my well-being, my inner peace, was a way to cultivate my performance and my contribution to peace. I'm a very curious person and I enjoy very much nourishing myself with trainings on self-development and well-being, but as well books. I had so many breakthroughs while reading books. And today I'm very happy to introduce you to the really very much impressive work done by Thomas Legrand on his book, Politics of Being, Wisdom and Science for a New Paradigm. Thomas is a social scientist, a professional committee to preserve our earth, our forest, and works for the United Nations as a sustainability professional. Reading his book was very much eye-opening for me. Because we face this multiple type of crisis, climate change, the pandemic, conflicts all around the world, lastly in Ukraine, mental health crisis, all indicators show that we're facing an end of our model based on performance, competition and ego, and disconnection with nature. What would be the next model to create to preserve ourselves and our planet? What value should be developed? What changes should we make in ourselves? In Politics of Being, Thomas refers to wisdom teacher and scientist. All converge to say that one of the key problems of our complex world and society is that we give too much attention to our external and material world, and we neglected our moral ethics, our inner values, our inner development as human beings. In his book, Thomas is referring to the importance of developing our soft skills such as compassion, self-compassion, peace, emotional intelligence, and preserving our physical, mental, and emotional health. These skills help us to nourish ourselves, but also relation with others, and also help us to preserve better our planet. All is connected. So in this conversation today, we will discuss about this proposal and in particular, what qualities and skills could be developed by professional working for peace. Happy listening. I'm very happy to welcome you, uh, Thomas, uh, for this new episode of Pacify Your Mind uh, podcast. Welcome. My pleasure, Adeline. Thank you for inviting me. I would like to introduce you uh, shortly. So you are a social scientist a professional committee to uh, preserve our earth, our forests. And you work also as well for uh, the UN as a sustainability professional. But today I invited you for your book, Politics of Being, Wisdom and Science for a, a New Development Paradigm. I was reading a few days ago your book and it was kind of eyes opening. It was very uh, strong call for me to... Uh, for inspiration, for reflection, for taking action. And I want to explain your main message of your book that we will better, I mean, you will better explain and go into details in this conversation is that you refer to wisdom teachers and scientists that all converge to say that the key problem of our world, our modern society, is that we give too much importance to our external world, material world, 
And we neglected so much our inner values, our inner development. And now you really ask to take action, to uh, come and work on a new model. This is really powerful book, a lot of research, a lot of commitment from yourself as well. And my first question to you is that I know that it took you uh, 10 years to uh, write this book. So my question to you is that could you explain to you about this personal commitment and professional path uh, that you got to, to come to this book? Sure, Aline. Thanks. I think in general, probably this kind of reflection uh, usually starts from uh, an individual experience. So this is something we need to often first experience ourselves, how we can be transformed to start to think about what this would mean for for the world and the, the great potential there is there. So for me, uh, my journey, my spiritual journey started in Mexico uh, during a, a student exchange I did at the end of my studies in uh, 2002, 2003. And I get in touch with uh, native spirituality, with shamans, and I experience a profound recognition to, to nature and to myself. And to me, that was, uh, I, I right away recognized that uh, this was what I was looking for in life. It was really uh, from uh, the day I clearly saw for the first time uh, a pass when discussing with a, with a shaman. I could recognize the same day that I had found what I was looking for. So I prioritized that in my life. It really also changed the way I engage in the world. Uh, I, when I come back first time from Mexico, I had to finish my study and I changed and I took a lot of other courses so that I could graduate uh, with a major in uh, international development because I, I felt I I wanted to bring something uh, something useful to the world, and I was ex particularly inspired by playing a role in dealing with the environmental crisis, which uh, you know we uh, could already uh, recognize 20 years ago how that that would be the decisive question of uh, probably this uh, century. So uh, later on, I did a couple of years later, uh, I went back to Mexico uh, for three years and tried to learn uh, as much as I could from these uh, chamans. And then I did a PhD in ecological economics to, uh, on tropical forest conservation, which is uh, an area I've been very much focused uh, on ever since. And I really tried to see how to apply. I was very, I, I looked at a lot of wisdom traditions and how they could contribute to some solutions to the collective challenges we are facing. And there was this overall vision of the spiritual evolution of humankind in Mexico in 2002, they already, I heard for the first time about this Mayan prophecy for a change of um, era in 2012, this kind of thing. And then I realized like more and more, many spiritual teachers uh, were uh, talking about, you know, this deep uh, change of consciousness. And, and now even in the institutions I'm working on, like the, like the UN, we recognize that uh, it's a lot about mindset. So with this book, I wanted to bring that understanding because that was a framework that was helping me make sense of the happenings of the world. And so I, yeah, I dedicate uh, 10 years to, uh, to write this book. Wow. C can you give, um, I mean, your definition of spirituality? Because I know some people are a bit like, 
shaky when it comes to spiritual teaching and uh, especially rational people. So I would like to hear about your definition of spirituality, how you you were immersed in this um, teaching uh, in Mexico. Okay, but the definition of spirituality, so I have a, I could say my definition may be uh, secular, so it's not relying on any dogma. I live myself next to uh, Plum Village in France, the monastery of Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. And one thing I appreciate very much in this tradition is, uh, is openness, that we should not be uh, attached to any dogma and even Buddhist one. And by the way, the, the Buddha, you know, say you, there are just teachings you need to experience yourself and make your own opinion about it. So to me, spirituality is, uh, I, I define it very simply, and it's, it calls uh, the title of my book about uh, being. And it's both, I would say, connecting to our authentic higher self, we could say, becoming who we are. And in this process, I believe that we tend to manifest the highest human qualities and they are part of our true nature. So that's mainly maybe some people, you know, if, yeah, that, there I have a spiritual understanding of that, of uh, my true nature, but people can just believe that maybe the human nature, you know, has uh, all this potential or they can dissociate a little bit, becoming who we are and, you know, uh, manifesting these uh, human qualities. But for me, you know, it's really both and, there's, uh, and they go together. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really share with you. And for me, spirituality is really listening more or less what these messages are really for me, actually, that where, where I really feel the big vibration that this is for me, that I really listen to this call so whatever I'm doing or I want to you know participate in projects so this is um, belonging to me so I really ask also the people that I help to really be actually in silence with themselves and listen to themselves actually so I would like to talk more about your uh, book Politics of uh, Being can you tell us more about this new paradigm, this new model that you are talking about in politics of being and maybe the key, you refer to four key action or pillars that we need to develop to better preserve our earth and preserve ourselves as human beings? Sure. So my uh, starting question uh, on this work was, what is a wisdom-based approach to development or politics? So as I said, you know, I was very inspired for, by wisdom teachings, how they can, can contribute to uh, help us deal with uh, external challenges in the world. So what has been mainly wisdom teachings in relation to human development and politics? And I found this uh, answer in the Earth Charter, in, uh, which was published in, uh, in, 20, uh, in 2000. And it has been a lot of consultation and a lot of involvement of religious wisdom uh, organizations. It's an ethical declaration, so it has really this kind of, to me, this wisdom perspective. And it says, when basic needs have been met, human development is, development is primarily about being more rather than having more. So that sets to me, you know, the direction of my work. And uh, I've been always uh, surprised that because that seems to me a very fundamental point 
And uh, that in the last 20 years, I don't know anyone who has uh, developed, you know, what this means in theory and practice, a development paradigm that would focus on being more. So as we say, we need first to uh, figure out what this means and, I, and explain what I mean by being through uh, spirituality. So both our most authentic being and our highest being. And by the way, you know, there's a lot of Wisdom traditions could be philosophy. Aristotle said the purpose of the, the good state is to help citizens cultivate the, the virtues, no? And uh, Confucius uh, would say uh, the same. So there's a, <laughs> there's a very strong, um, you know, uh, history uh, behind that kind of, uh, of thinking. And it's interesting to, to show that also people recognize that nowadays, I mean, uh, I build on the work of Elinor Ostrom, for example, first woman to receive the Nobel Prize in economics. And she says that basically our institutions do exactly the opposite. <laughs> they cultivate the worst <laughs> because they're assuming we are homo economicus, selfish, competitive, only pursuing our own material gains or institutions and act these assumptions. So I've looked for the seeds uh, of this emerging uh, new development paradigm. Where is it manifesting? And I found out it is in different fields of research that also translate in practical uh, applications in terms of policy agenda, uh, socio-political, social change initiatives. So these are mainly uh, people who work on systemic thinking, complex thinking, integral thinking, and basically how to think a world that is completely interconnected. People who are, uh, let's say, the, the regeneration movement, people who are uh, trying to harmonize, saying that our society should harmonize themselves with how na with natural processes, with how nature works, uh, which has been the the you know at the center of contemplation of all indigenous traditions. We could say almost happiness uh, that is as being proposed indeed as a new development paradigm by uh, by Bhutan and it's implemented there and in getting traction in many uh, in many countries. Um, new Zealand well-being budget uh, being one example love or compassion empathy so we have for example an important network of compassionate cities through the charter for for compassion that are really making this value the new direction for these uh, communities peace culture of peace uh, this has been a un resolution we could say a culture of partnership also mindfulness uh, i'm thinking about the the report the uk mindful nation endorsed by many uh, members of parliament in the uk uh, which outlines uh, how mindfulness can contribute uh, in terms of public policies in, in, in four main sectors, etc. And, and I realize that because all of these fields of thought have and initiatives have very concrete recommendations in many sectors, if you bring together, you can have very actionable, practical policy agendas in many sectors. That's what I, I, I also developed uh, in the book. Yes, thank you. Yes, and, and you know, while I was reading your book, I was thinking about the way I was educated and the work I was doing. And I was also like, what you learn at school or at work is like to develop your hard, hard skill, I would say, to develop like an expertise on a specific field, to be your be the best, you know, uh, expert in the field. But in the end, you neglect a lot about developing your soft skills. I came like three years ago to discover this new world about emotional intelligence, compassion to myself, to others, mindfulness practice. Uh, I mean, Paul, I'm talking for myself, but 
all this discovery, uh, making peace also with myself. And this is really like powerful, uh, I mean, discovery. Uh, and you actually, you better serve your purpose, you know, uh, what you're doing. Uh, so it starts with also edu education. So do you have any example about a country or initiative that is doing, I mean, it's going in this direction of teaching this spiritual values, I would say, uh, Yes, indeed, there are there are lots of examples, and I and I mention uh, some of them in, in the book. Uh, but be, before going to to that, uh, I think it's really uh, the point you're making, and, and what I've come to realize is that how much of a blind spot you know this inner world is, and we have invested a lot of uh, efforts collectively over the last uh, centuries to develop our external power. And that has brought a lot of benefits, uh, but it has also uh, created lots of problems because we have not developed the corresponding, we have not made the same investment in terms of growing our consciousness so that we can balance, so that we have the wisdom to balance our external power and also to have the, the wisdom to deal with the complexity of the world that our external power has, uh, has brought to. And what I find... Uh, found very, um, I would say, almost surprising, even if I'm, you know, uh, I was already almost convinced before. But when I look at the data and see how, what kind of returns, even economic returns, uh, the kind of policies I'm proposing, uh, why they are not uh, put in place is just that collectively we are it, it, it just so foreign to a way of thinking that we cannot tap into these opportunities. I'm You know, there are some economic even uh, analyses about how much returns you can have by investing in early childhood well-being, which is, as we know, is fundamental for our flourishing, but also for how much people will be able to contribute positively to societies. Or how do we, um, the investments in mental health and, you know, mental health has a huge cost on societies because of uh, people not coming to work, because of uh, physical health uh, impact it has on, etc. So it's really interesting to uh, notice, you know, how unfamiliar it is for us collectively to, to think about this thing. And, and in my field, you know, working on uh, environmental climate uh, issues, there is a recognition and growing very fast uh, in terms of, you know, at the end, it's a cultural evolution that we need. It's an issue of mindset, etc. The thing is that for long, you know, uh, sometimes there is this recognition, but it just left like that, like if it was something that it's not manageable or we cannot invest in. Uh, it's just like an unknown territory that we can't deal with. But uh, that's really what I think we should uh, focus on, no? figure out. And and yeah, and I think there is a lot of uh, already uh, good uh, data science that, you know, can explain, you know, some causalities between uh, causes and how the world is today. And we can work. Uh, I think the all the what I'm proposing is how to support this uh, collective cultural evolution by looking at the causes of our current cultures and just tackling them. I was talking about early child well-being and you're mentioning education. I come back to your to answer your question. I think uh, Finland, for example, is a good example of how this paradigmatic shift in the education system where it's more about personalized teachings where the role of the 
of the teacher is more to accompany the pupils on its own uh, development path, we could say. And uh, they learn, we say, topic learning. So instead of learning, you know, uh, things in silos, they are coming with a theme. And then through these teams, they explore a lot of different dimensions, a lot of different disciplines. Or it's about, you know, uh, at the end, you know, it's very interesting. You were saying, I haven't learned the life skills. So now experts education recognize that because of the world we are in, because of artificial intelligence, knowledge being so accessible, uh, knowledge changing very fast, etc. At the end, they say the most important skills as uh, skills are the personal skills. And that's more and more, uh, there's a lot of examples of school or uh, education systems uh, focusing more and more on that. Character education, value-based education, positive education. Yes, thank you very much. I agree with you. We need to invest in this in this soft skills and also, I mean, in this systemic uh, thinking because we need uh, we need this uh, uh, thinking and uh, to to address all these uh, crises and challenges ahead. I would like to come back to more specific questions. This podcast story is for uh, professional uh, working for international organization want to make the difference to have an impact. Uh, uh, I used to be this diplomat two years ago working for the European Union. And uh, as you say uh, before, uh, it's, I was impacted by stress. I was still very much committed in, in, in my purpose to bring peace, to work for human rights, uh, election observation mission. So I was really, really highly committed. But I have no tools to deal with stress. And what I observe is colleagues fighting uh, to take care about their well-being at the same time very much committed in this international environment. What I know more is EU institution. And I really see, as you explained before, this EU institution, a great place to work with for really good cause. Uh, for example, they put a lot of means uh, to find solutions, for example, a partnership or like now for Ukraine, peace, I mean, really solving uh, the, 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 the crisis in Ukraine. But they put a lot of efforts in how to, I would say, peace, but not a lot of means to actually care about the colleagues that they develop their inner abilities or qualities to take care about themselves, you know. And I see this imbalance a lot. So I really like in your book, you say, how can leaders can govern the organization if they cannot govern themselves? And my question that I was asking, you know, while reading your book, like, how can colleagues contributing to peace I mean, contribute or serve, you know, this purpose if they are not peace, uh, they are not, sorry, in peace with themselves. So my question to you is like, what kind of qualities or abilities they need to develop to better serve? Indeed. Um, if you want to um, to have peace, you, you need to be peace. So to start with, so our, our state of being influence a lot, uh, can influence a lot the outcomes of any discussions. And, and for example, I have um, the example of Christiana Figueres, you know, who were, uh, was heading the uh, UN negotiation for the Paris uh, Climate Agreement. And uh, she said, her example is very interesting. She says, and that's what, you know, people working on systemic change, etc., recognize fully is that we have come in, in a world that is so complex, we realize that our ways of doing often no longer works. And we, we move very quickly to the doing mode, 
without paying attention to what we bring ourselves, how we are part of the system and, 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 and what is going on, how our mindset or state of being contribute to what is happening. And she said that the most powerful thing you can do in such a context is to change your way of being, to change your uh, mindset. And uh, for her, she came, for example, after the, the failure of the negotiations in Copenhagen, and everybody in that field was very uh, depressed and pessimistic about any chance to have a global agreement on climate. And so she realized the first thing she needed to do is to bring back some optimism to really change also uh, how, how we approach uh, strategically that uh, agenda. And uh, also what's interesting, she even sh uh, share uh, very personally uh, her experience because she was dealing through a very difficult family process with her, with her husband. And she realized at some point that she had this mindset of victim. And she realized that coming from Costa Rica, uh, which had been classified, uh, you know, uh, has not contributed much to uh, the climate crisis, but is facing uh, a lot of the consequences. So she realized coming from this country, she was often coming to this discussion with a, a victim mindset. And that was impeding uh, to uh, connect uh, differently to that agenda and find more uh, common ground. So, uh, you know, this introspection about, you know, what is the kind of my ideas, what is the kind of stories we are telling ourselves about is very important. And uh, an aspect to me that's uh, fundamental in this kind of diplomatic work is our capacity to truly listen, to deeply uh, listen to, to, to one another. And I think, you know, that is really the key to uh, not, you know, because often we don't let in what others have said. We know, you know, there's a lot of politics and agendas and etc. So we're kind of not letting in what is the true story and point of view of these people. And Christiana Figueres said that was because she was able to take time to really listen to uh, every country that they could really feel listened. This completely changed their uh, disposition to uh, negotiate. Uh, so I think that's a, a, a very important uh, point. Thank you very much. And also in terms, I mean, this is at the individual level, but at the organization level, uh, you refer in your book, like uh, organizations should uh, invest a lot in mental health, preservation, well-being, and still, if you have one message to this organization, international organization, what would be uh, this message like uh, that you would like to give? Well, that's uh, maybe there's two aspects of it. You know, uh, you can often uh, these organizations look at it from the lens, start to look at it from the lens of well-being and resilience. And, you know, they can look at employees' absence, etc., so, uh, uh, which has some cost for them, uh, really with this kind of mindset. But also, as I was suggesting, I think it's so important for, uh, if you want to have truly impact, the kind of mindsets we cultivate is truly important for the, the transition that is before us. So I think, you know, it's really the... Uh, all organizations need to go through a cultural transformation to embed these values and these practices in the organization, even in work processes, in the way we do a meeting, for example. We can, 
you know, we, we, I, we practice that uh, myself and now I'm, I'm working with UNDP and the Conscious Food Systems Alliance, where we try to bring this agenda. So starting with a moment of silence, starting with a meditation, a grounding practice, uh, setting a clear intention for the meeting, including to listen to everyone, inviting, you know, also by showing the example to share more personally about how everyone feels, you know, not only, you know, at the, at the level of ideas, but how we feel about our emotions or the questions we are struggling, uh, something that, things that don't feel right or institutions. Uh, that is also, you know, this deep listening uh, embedded in the way we, we work together to make space for that. Because all of these things, I'm talking about, you know, emotions, intuitions, etc. This is a leadership uh, based on being. This is a systemic leadership we need in, this, uh, in, in the world we, we now live in. Yeah, we, we need to bring our authentic uh, self to work, actually. It's, uh, and you need this space that is led by organization that is encouraging. So thank you for sharing your practice uh, and specific example. Now I would like to come back to uh, UN development, uh, sustainable development goals. You refer in your book that uh, years ago, Ben Ki-moon said the need urgently to review these goals. And I'm following this uh, new initiative, Inner Development Goals, that are supposed to accelerate the work done on uh, SDGs. So could you Tell more about this senior development goals, what is about this initiative and the link with your work on politics of being. Sure. And uh, well, I've been uh, collaborating closely with them because they are partners of our Conscious Food Systems Alliance with UNDP and we we have been closely uh, working together. So basically what they are showing is the importance of some inner capacities, uh, skills for uh, sustainability. And they classified them, I think they have, if I remember well, like 23 maybe skills, 20 something, classified, clustered into uh, five categories. So uh, the first one are being skills and relate a lot to our, our presence and authenticity, etc. I think another one is relating, if I remember well, how to connect with people. There is something I was talking about a little bit on thinking and a lot about systemic thinking and, you know, perspective taking, non-attachment to views, uh, this kind being aware of, of our thoughts and what may influence them, etc. And I think there is one on caring uh, or no, on collaborating and then one on uh, acting and courage and, 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 and that kind of skills. And they uh, now they are showing, you know, how... Uh, certain practices, certain trainings can help us develop uh, these skills. They will start piloting this kind of training. I think they have just launched in, uh, in some 10 countries or so. So I think it's very helpful to, you know, just direct our attention on the importance of these uh, inner capacities uh, for, for sustainability. In relation to my work with the politics of being, so I had something similar in my last chapter on leadership which is, you know, highlight, you know, the importance of all these kind of skills, abilities, which I consider are part of what I call spiritual intelligence. But politics of being goes a little bit because now I think there is more and more traction, the recognition that we need these inner capacities if we want to be able to do the, the, the cultural transition uh, that uh, we need to do. Politics of being goes uh, one step uh, forward, just recognizing that, 
being is not a mean to an end as it is like in that case the idgs are means to realize the sdgs but what i'm uh, arguing is that true human development is about as it says in the earth chapter is about being more so it's not only a mean for an ed and i think that's also more transformative in terms of our mindset recognizing you know what's important in life that's really human flourishing is uh, the development of all these uh, human qualities and, and values Thank you very much. And uh, I will just uh, follow with this more personal question. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you uh, cultivate or nourish your being or your well-being? So, um, as I said, I've chosen to live with my family in the southwest of France, next to a mindfulness practice center in the countryside. So, um, I usually go there almost on a daily basis to practice mindfulness And we do uh, different practices. We do walking meditation, for example, just walking mindfully in the forest, connecting with nature and just being truly here is an important practice for me. And um, yeah, so I do also uh, the Tai Chi Chuan, for example, another uh, practice and spending time in nature, spending quality time in the family, very important uh, and trying really to to savor it, you know, when you're really there, just, you know, being aware of the the chance I have to be uh, with my daughters, just reading a story at night before they go to sleep and just really trying to savor these moments that are uh, really special, simple moments, but having the the awareness also of the, of what is happening in that moment, you know, what are the, the kind of seeds that I'm, uh, I'm watering at that moment and, and the kind of fruits uh, they would naturally uh, develop from there. Contemplating that, I think, is, is really beautiful. And, um, and yeah, I would say having to stop also uh, one day a week, you know, mm -hmm. as uh, I said, the Bible, I think. <laughs> Just keep uh, one day and, and as some people, uh, you know, uh, uh, practice in their religion, uh, Keep one day off, I think, is really important because there's a, a lot of potential work and, and, and great opportunities, but also being able just to uh, to come back and, and maintain this kind of, uh, of, of buffer. Yes, and strong commitment huh, with politics of being. So you need to nourish this part, this uh, internal uh, part. So thank you. It was, uh, I like when you say the pure magic of uh, the, the present moment. I agree with you. And do you have uh, my last question? Like I like to ask, a favorite mantra that is guiding you? Maybe uh, getting back to your previous question, uh, I, in terms of practice, uh, uh, here we have uh, one of our teacher, that's uh, a woman, Sister Chang Kong, that say uh, she's very uh, fun, and she she uses this mantra. She said, like, and and I use it. I've been using it for a while. Uh, every morning. Uh, saying she says uh, she sings it she said, every morning when I wake <laughs> up I am happy <laughs> so I'm <laughs> practicing that because I know you know that yeah. scene or in our consciousness and, uh, and, and and that's a practice so I yeah, like it I like that's it. a mantra you can practice it it's powerful mantra yes we, we did this mantra I practice Kundalini Yoga with all the mantra but it has a direct effect and, uh, and you keep the uh, energy uh, high with this mantra mm -hmm. thank you very much for this uh, rich uh, conversation rich insights I think it's giving a lot of food for reflection inspiration so thank you very much 
And if people want to read your book, follow you, I know that you're doing a lot of uh, conversation on YouTube. So can you give you a contact where we can find you and connect with you? Sure. So on the, on the, on the website, www.politicsofbeing.com. And there you have the link to the YouTube channel and uh, also to social media on Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. And uh, there is a contact page also on the, uh, on the website. So, and there are some uh, links to where to, to buy the book. Thank you. Thank you very much. Keep the spirit high, I would say, <laughs> to finish. Thank you very much. Thanks, Aline. Bye-bye. Good to speak with you. Bye. I hope you have been inspired by our discussion with Thomas. And if you're interested to read more and learn more about his holistic approach on this new paradigm and new model based on wisdom and science, please look at his website, politicsofbeing.com. I join very much Thomas on the importance of cultivating inner qualities such as well-being, resilience in these challenging times in our personal and work life. I love to teach about these skills, so if you want to know more about my work as a consultant, as a training facilitator, please connect to my website, pacifyourmind.com, but as well on my LinkedIn profile. Take good care of you and see you soon for a new episode. Bye.